Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, love you, and adore you. Father, we ask that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly and clearly into our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray that you will open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive from you, to know that you have spoken into our lives. And Father, to leave this place blessed and changed for the good of your kingdom, the glory of your name, and the furthering of your word of salvation among the nations. Father, I pray that you use me as a vessel for you and that uh, everything that comes forth from, from my mouth will come forth straight from your heart first. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. This week we are in Parsha Vayetzeh, uh, beginning with Jer- uh, Genesis 28, verse 10. Um, as we get into this, I want to uh, spend some time really kind of looking at the character and nature of Jacob at this point in his life. Um, as we've talked about before, we say regularly in Judaism, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it's really interesting as we move through the, the scriptures, particularly through Genesis and our parshot through Genesis, it's interesting to see the development of the exact moments when he became the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And as individuals, it's really interesting to be able to look at the lives of our forefathers in faith, uh, our forefathers in lineage if we're Jewish, and be able to look at our lives and go, okay, no, I can see those definitive moments in our lives, in my own personal life, where he became my God, where I rededicated myself to him as my God, where I give him my everything in service before him. This Parsha is not that Parsha. This is not when Jacob has such an experience, an encounter. He does have a phenomenal encounter with God. But as I'll show you in a moment, he doesn't quite get there, right? Uh, If you have your scriptures, open up to Genesis chapter 28, beginning with verse 10. It says, Then Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He He happened upon a certain place and spent the night there, for the sun had set. So he took one of the stones from the place and put it by his head and lay down in that place. So first and foremost, I want to look at a couple of words that are here, right? Beersheba. Uh, Beersheba is the, the kind of area that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob settled in, that they were living in, particularly Jacob settled in. Uh, I'm sorry, Isaac settled in. It's where Jacob grew up, where Esau grew up. Um, it's a very important place. Even today, it's an important place um, in Israeli history. Um, but the words, Sheva translates to a place of seven, uh, oath, week, or rest. Sheva, the seven, it's connected to Shabbat, uh, the seventh day, the day of rest. So he left Beersheba, the very literal place of rest, right? God said, I will give you all of this land to you and your seed, your descendants that come after you, and through your seed, the entire world will be blessed. So he leaves this very place Uh, called Beersheba, the place of rest, the place of seven. Uh, And he picks up and he leaves and he goes to Haran, which is where his uh, mother's family's from. It's where uh, Laban lives. It's his uncle's uh, house. He goes to Haran, which literally means parched. It's from a root word meaning to incite anger or wrath. 
kind of interesting as we look at this, right? And we see that this was these names are not just random and arbitrary names that are brought up, but these are places that God has a specific purpose and intention for showing us something in. And here it's something that we see Jacob is leaving from the place of rest, which he has now brought Haran, wrath and anger to, right? He has brought this, this concept of wrath and anger to, uh, to Beersheba, the place of rest. He has brought disruption to this place of rest. And now he's leaving the place of rest to go to a place of inciting anger and wrath, which ultimately, prophetically, is what happens in his life. Uh, his father-in-law slash uncle, really weird, but his father-in-law slash uncle treats him extremely horribly and causes him great anger and detriment and pain and suffering. Uh, but before we get there, verse 12 continues on by saying, he dreamed all of a sudden there was a stairway set up on the earth at its top reaching to the heavens. And behold, angels of God going up and coming down on it. Backtrack for just a second. Just before this, it says that Jacob stopped and he rested in this place. And he took a stone and he set it up to lay his head on. Anybody, anybody ever thought a stone make a good pillow? He set up a stone, a rock, to be a pillow. To be something to lay his head on. I'm thinking that isn't... Uh, with the intention of having a good night's sleep. That rock he did not place there so that he would sleep comfortably, but I think more so so that he slept with one eye open because he always knew that, that Esau wanted to kill him. He knew that Esau was chasing him, was, was going to come after him and slaughter him, and he was scared to death of what his brother Esau would do. He knew Esau was a tracker. He was a hunter. He knew how to find him. He knew how to get to him. Most importantly, he knew how to kill him. And so Jacob was scared to death and he took this time where he should have been sleeping and instead he spent this time resting with one eye open, constantly looking for what was coming up behind him. While right in front of him, it says, he dreamed. All of a sudden, there was a stairway set up on the earth and its top reaching to the heavens. And behold, angels of God going up and down on it. Surprisingly, Adonai was standing on top of it. And he said, I am Adonai, the God of your fathers, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your seed. Your seed will be as the dust of the land, and you will burst forth to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And in your seed, behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised you. Notice he says, I am the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, but he doesn't yet say, I am your God. Notice in a moment that Jacob will say, I met the God of my father Abraham, the God of Isaac, but he never says, he's my God. He makes it a point to differentiate his relationship to God or from God. And so here God says, and he gives him the exact same blessing and promise that he speaks over his father Abraham and his father Isaac. And he says, I am going to make you a great nation. I will bring you back to this place. And through your seed, the entire world will be blessed. And everything you can see will belong to your seed forever as an eternal blessing and covenant. But he says, behold, I am with you, verse 15, and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised. Verse 16, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, undoubtedly Adonai is in this place and I was unaware. So he was afraid and said, how fearsome this place is. This is none other than the house of God. This must be the gate 
of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob got up and took the stone which he had placed by his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Beit El, or, or House of God, though originally the city's name was Luz. Uh, tradition says this is the very same place, uh, Mount Moriah, where uh, Abraham brought Isaac uh, for the Akedah, it says it's the very same place that the temple was built on the Temple Mount, um, that it literally is Beit El, the house of God. Verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and watch over me on this way that I am going and provide me food to eat and clothes to wear, and I return in shalom and peace to my father's house, then Adonai will be my God. So this stone which I set up as a memorial stone will be God's house, and of everything you provide me, I will definitely give a tenth of it to you. Notice he says, if God does everything he says he's going to do, if he makes sure I don't starve and I'm not hungry, if he provides for me, if he brings me back here in safety and in shalom and in peace, if he does everything he says he's going to do, then he'll be my God. Scripturally speaking, though, more often than not, in order for God, not that God is limited by us, but in order for God to do what he says he's going to do in our lives, it kind of requires us to first be of service to him. So Jacob's approaching this thing backwards. Jacob's going into it assuming nothing's going to pan out. He's going into it assuming, look, I got time before I have to worry about making a personal decision for my God. I've got time. Ultimately, as he goes into Laban's household and, and he falls in love with uh, Laban's daughter, uh, Rachel, and, and I mean, just head over heels in love with her, and then he works for seven years to marry her, um, and, and once he has the, what was supposed to be the wedding ceremony, um, I'm assuming he was a little tipsy. Uh, a little trash because he didn't realize who he was standing before. Um, but instead of marrying Rachel the next morning, he wakes up and finds out that he married Leah, the older sister, instead, and gets upset. Uh, today, in a Jewish wedding, this is precisely why in a Jewish wedding we lift the veil before we proceed in the marriage ceremony. You laugh, I'm serious. We're not getting tricked again. Uh, but... <laughs> So then they have the, he, he, he gets all upset about it and he waits a week and Laban allows him to marry Rachel anyways uh, after the Leah's bridal week is over. And, and so he marries Rachel and then he works another six years or seven years, sorry, again. And then after that gets burned and has to work another six years, he spends 20 years total every single time he becomes successful and what Laban says is going to happen, Laban changes his Payment changes his wages over and over and over again. One thing after another after another. You'll have the striped lambs. No, you'll have the, the, the white lambs. No, you'll have the spotted lambs. No, you'll have, okay, well, uh, finally J Jacob gets upset and he just bells. After 20 years, he packs up his kids, his family, and everybody, and he bells and he takes off and leaves, right? But I want you to understand, even after he left Laban, just like when he ran from Beersheba, when he ran from Esau, and he ran from the punishment he knew was rightly due him in that situation. He ran with one eye constantly behind him, never actually fully looking at what was laying ahead of him. He's leaving here from Haran, from Laban's house, leaving this place of turmoil, this place of anger and wrath, to rush back to the place of rest. He's going home to the place of rest. 
But even in this, as he's got blessing and promises awaiting him in front of him, he's still looking continually behind him. He's never focused on what God has in store. He's merely looking out for his own hide behind him. God promises, I will bring you back to this place. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never take you for granted and I will never take my hand of blessing off of you. And Jacob still doesn't fully trust that. Even after everything God provided in Haran, he still does not trust what God is going to do. So Jacob's rushing back now to, uh, to Beersheba to what he assumes is going to be a slaughter when he gets back to Esau. He assumes Esau is going to wipe him out. And next week we dive into more of the narrative of the ultimate reunion of Jacob and Esau. And we see the work, the redemptive, restorative work of God in the, that relationship or what should have been a redemptive and restorative work in that relationship. But what I want to look at today, what I want to focus on the most, is that we as individuals spend way too much time of our life as believers living in a mindset of Jacob. Living in the mindset of constantly looking behind us at what's awaiting us from behind. What's going to come up and stab us in the back? What's going to come up and rain down on our parade because of mistakes we've made? Notice he wasn't looking back because Esau was mad at him because he gave him a great birthday cake, right? Esau wasn't mad because he gave him the top-of-the-line car as a gift. Esau wasn't mad because he did something great for him. Esau was mad because Jacob did something wrong, right? Esau was mad because Jacob did not treat him like he should have. Most of the time in our own lives, all of the garbage, all of the, the things that go wrong in our lives are typically because of mistakes that we've made, because of issues we've had in the past, because of sins that we've, we've uh, uh, performed, things that we have done that was outside of the will of God, and, and these things catch up with us inevitably. But we spend so much time focused on what could happen because of that, that we forget to focus on what will happen because of what God's doing in front of us, because of what God is bringing us into because of what God wants to do in his promises and his blessings. If you go forward to John chapter 1, from our Brecha to Shah Parsha this week, John chapter 1 verse 45. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture because my son's name is in it, um, but that's beside the point. Um, verse 45, John chapter 1 verse 45 says, Philip finds Natanel, Nathaniel, and tells him, we found the one that Moses and the Torah and also the prophets wrote about, Yeshua, uh, Yeshua of Nazareth, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathaniel answers. Can anything good come from there? Anybody had somebody say a statement like that about you? Could anything good come from that family? Could anything good come from that household? Could anything good come from that background? Could anything good come from that city? Yeshua saw Nathaniel coming. I'm sorry, Philip said to him, come and see. Yeshua saw Nathaniel coming toward him. He said, look, a true Israelite, there's nothing false in him. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? What do you think you know about me? Who do you think you are saying you know me? Yeshua answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Rabbi Nathaniel answered, you are Ben Elohim. You are the king of Israel. Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Yeshua replied to him, you will see greater things than that. And he said, Amen, Amen, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God coming, uh, going up and coming down on the Son of Man. Yeshua is not just haphazardly telling some nice, neat little story. Yeshua is referencing back to Jacob. He's referencing back to Jacob sleeping 
uh, on a rock and having this vision with this ladder and the angels going to and from and, and he sees the Lord standing atop the, the, the ladder. And I don't mean he sees the angel of the Lord most high. I mean the Hebrew says he sees yod Vave. He sees the God of all creation at the top of this ladder. And so here... In, 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 uh, in this passage in Matthew, Yeshua is saying, look, you're going to see this, the angels going and coming from heaven, coming down upon the Son of Man. He's saying, now you're not looking up. You're not looking forward out there to some ethereal place to see God, but instead God is here with you. Now God is here with you. This is not a I will do in the future for you kind of statement like he says to Jacob. This is a I am doing now for you statement. And Nathaniel doesn't have the same response as Jacob where Jacob says, well, if you do all this stuff, then cool, then you can be my God. Nathaniel's response is, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are my Messiah. We go forward to John 14, verse 6. Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have come to know me, you will know my Father also. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, the same Philip that brings Nathanael to him. Philip sees him, said to him, Master, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Yeshua said to him, have I been with you for so long a time and you haven't come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father dwelling in me does his works. Yeshua, in, in John chapter 1, speaking to Nathaniel, Yeshua says, look, that vision that Jacob had, that's a vision for all Israel. It's a vision for all of his seed because the promise and the blessing is for all of his seed. The promise and the blessing is that through the seed of Jacob, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Abraham, the entire world would be blessed. Yeshua says, I am not only the promised seed that will bless the world, he says, but I am now God in front of you. You're not like your forefather Jacob who, in doubting God in the first place, looks up and sees God in heaven. But instead, you're looking up, seeing the same vision of the angels going and coming, and you're seeing God stand right before you. And God is asking us, and he's, he's, he's speaking to us, and he's saying the same thing today that he was saying to Jacob that Jacob didn't quite get. He's saying, what are you going to do? Who are you going to be? Who are you going to believe in? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to give your all to? We don't have the right in the world that we live in and the time that we live in and the point in history that we live in post the sacrifice and atonement of Yeshua, post the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, post God Himself walking in our midst in the person of Yeshua Mashiach. We do not have the right any longer to see the works of God, the majesty of God, the miracles of God, the promises of God and say, if you continue to do for me, then you'll be my God. We live in a time where we can no longer be Jacob looking forward to a day where we might or might not accept God. We live in a day where we must wholeheartedly serve Him with everything that we are. 
we must recognize that God is not just on top of that ladder in a vision and dream at the cusp of heaven, but God is here among us, living within us, residing in our hearts, and His Spirit is now a part of who we are. And we can either walk in that or walk from it, but we cannot be lukewarm about it. We cannot play both sides of the field. We cannot be walking in a place of incitement, of anger and wrath, while at the same time longing for peace from God. We cannot be Jacob, who was constantly having one eye behind him because of his mistakes in the past, and longing for what was awaiting him in the future as well. I think one of the things that this whole service today has been about is walking away from those curses and those mistakes and those things that we've done before that the enemy tries to constantly use to hold us down so that we can finally wholeheartedly and entirely step into the promises of God. It's one thing to believe in the salvation and atonement of Yeshua. It's another thing to walk in it. It's one thing to believe that God can free us and break chains and bondage and stronghold. It's another thing to walk in that freedom. It's one thing to say that God can do these things through His body. It's another thing to be used by God to be the body that brings it to the world. We cannot be both inciting wrath and anger and praying for peace at the same time. We must make a choice. Are we going to be Jacob in this week's Parsha who says, if you do this, then you'll be my God. Because the truth is, God doesn't need those people. God doesn't need the people that aren't willing to say, you're my God now. God wants people that are willing to lay it all on the line for him here and now. He tells us in the gospel, Yeshua says, in order to follow me, you've got to be willing to hate your father, mother, sister, pick up your stake, your cross, and follow me. He doesn't say in order to follow me, you've got to be willing to at some point down the line when things are much easier and less complicated in life and things are a lot better in your bank account and your house is paid for and things are okay, then you can follow me and I'll wait for you. He says, give me everything now. Give me everything now. The body of Messiah spent way too long with one foot in the world and one foot in the body. We can't do that. We are a heavenly people. We're a people who, is an inheritor, who are inheritors of the kingdom of God. We're a people who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb and we should not be okay with being marred by the stains of the world. But instead, we should be bringing that light of Messiah to those who are marred by the stains of the world. So the question I have for you today is are you willing to make a statement here and now that no matter what, God is your God and you will give Him all? Not down the road, not 10 years from now, not 20 years from now when you've got four wives, 11 children, a father-in-law that hates you, and a whole bunch of sheep and lambs following you down the street. A bunch of camels and wealth. Are you willing to do it now? When things are uncomfortable, when you're not really sure of what's happening, are you willing to do it now when it's actually complicated to make a choice, not when it's a little easier? Because look, <laughs> let's be honest. We've all been there at some point in our life and we realize that when we thought it would be easier, it's way more difficult. Right? When that bank account's got seven, eight figures in it, after the decimal, not before. When it's got seven or eight figures in it, it's far harder to be willing to give up everything and walk with the Lord. 
faithfully doing what he asks of us at any moment in time than it is when that bank account's got a negative sign. But what the Lord wants from us is that we are willing to give him everything no matter what at all times starting now. Because we are Nathaniel. We are not to now. We have that time and period that we live in in which we literally see God among us. We have the presence and the authority of the Ruach HaKodesh in us. And it's time that we, just like Nathaniel said, you are the Messiah. Not like Jacob who said, I'll catch up with you at some point. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we have been waiting for. And I want you to be me, in me. I want you to be everything that I live for and everything that I am. I think far too often we are so willing and so quick to wait on God to do what He says He's going to do or to wait until we see the Lord closer, ignoring the fact that we live post-sacrifice of Yeshua and the Lord is always among us. We're not looking to some ethereal distant space in heaven. Are you willing to give Him your all? Are you willing to pick up your stake and to follow Him? Are you willing to give up everything no matter what? Ignoring the mistakes, the problems, the issues we've had in our past recognizing that we serve a God who is capable, who is willing, and who has already paid the price for us to be forgiven entirely. And are we willing to forgive ourselves? Because you got to understand, when Jacob finally is reunited with Esau, and Esau shows him love and wants to reestablish relationship, Jacob is still buried in the past. And says, I'll catch up with you and instead makes a hard right and goes somewhere else. We're never going to find the right time. There's only this time. We're not guaranteed next time. We live the roller coaster walk of faith from spiritual high to spiritual high and we just get along in between. But God's got so much more waiting for us if we're just willing to give Him our all at all times starting now. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we adore you, we glorify your holy name. Father, we thank you for being a God who cherishes us, who loves us, who has given us so much, who has given us your life, not just your breath of life, but your restoration of eternal life. What we walked away from when we chose the mar and the pain and the anguish of sin in this world rather than walking faithfully in the perfect world you had created for us. Father, I pray that as you have already begun a work of cleansing and healing in our lives, as you've already begun a work, even just this, this morning, Father, in this service, as you've begun a work of restoring and redeeming our, our, our uh, issues in our life, as you've done a work of bringing freedom and breaking chains and bondages in our lives, Father, and ushering us into your peace away from the wrath and the anger of the enemy. Father, I pray that you continue to work in our hearts and lives, that every single soul in this room and every person listening to this message online 
will recognize that there is only right now. We do not have a promise of another opportunity. So Father, I pray right now that everyone that hears these words will feel the, the, the heartstrings tugged by the work of your saving grace and Messiah Yeshua and that we will give our lives over to you receiving your gift of beautiful salvation, of perfected redemption, of restoration, of renewal of life, and the indwelling, the empowering, the overtaking of the Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, which gives us the ability to speak life into others. Hashem Yeshua Meshachim, the name Yeshua Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.